The following message is entitled, The Eternal Word, Part 7. This message was given during the morning service on November 6, 2022, at the East Side Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. This is a verse-by-verse series, the first Sunday of each month, entitled Communion Credentials. Communion because this series is taught by me on Communion Sundays. Credentials refer to the credentials of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. We're in the sixth sermon entitled The Eternal Word. That's the sermon title. And this first series we are in encompasses the first chapter of John, verses 1 to 18. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 encompass the first series. We're currently in the first section of this first series, the deity of Christ in your note sheet. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Follow in your Bible as I read. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What we've looked at so far in this first series on the wonder of Christ's life introduced, verses 1 to 18, and this first Roman numeral 1, verses 1 to 5, the deity of Christ, we've seen in your note sheet above the dotted line, letter A, the beginning, the word was God. Verses 1 and 2 convince us and show us that the word, who is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is fully God. It says right at the end of verse 1, and the word was God. And we know the word is Jesus Christ because of verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Holy Spirit did not become flesh. The eternal Father did not become flesh. That's only Jesus Christ. We looked quite extensively in the last few sermons at verses 1 and 2. I won't repeat that. You don't have anywhere to take notes, but just notice the end of verse 1. And the word was God. And I reminded you that in the Greek, this is the word God, theos. It's called the anarthrous use of a proper noun. Anarthrous means no article. The word was not a God, but God. And without the article, it shows quality of divinity, quality of an item. The article is with the word God, the first word. And the word was with God, that's God the Father. So the article is there because the subject is Jesus Christ and not the Father. So the article is there with the first word God in verse 1, but not the second word God because it's showing quality. And we're looking and examining the qualities and credentials of Jesus Christ. That is our topic. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning refers to the beginning of creation, as we've already looked at that. So today we come to verse 3, verses 3 to 5, and it's letter B in your note sheet. The beginning is talked about and explained more thoroughly. And so in letter B, let's fill in the blanks. 
the beginning. Being, life, light. Being, B-E-I-N-G, life, light through the word. Letter B, the beginning. Being, life, light through the word. Those three words are mentioned here. In verse 3, all things came into being. Verse 4, in him was life. Verse 4, and the life was the light of men. That's why those three words you fill in for letter B. The beginning. Being, life, light through the word. Let's focus in on verse 3, verse point number 1 under letter B. The beginning, all came into being through the word. All came into being through the word. Being is a very important word concerning the word, Jesus Christ. All came into being through the word. Now remember the word word is not referring to the Bible. So you don't get confused here. The Bible did not create the universe. Jesus Christ, of course, there are verses that tell us the Spirit was involved in creation and the Father, but this is a, the subject of verse 3 is, is Jesus Christ. He is called the eternal Word. So where you see the word Word, you're, we're referring to Jesus Christ. And again, according to John 1.14. Okay. So the beginning, all came into being through the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at his credentials. Letter A underneath, all things came into being through him. That's what the English New American Standard says in verse 3. But notice the Greek underneath is a different word order. All things through him. Notice that in the English, through him comes at the end. Little letter A, all things came into being through him. Notice it's third. If we take little letter A and divide the English statement there into three sections. All things, section 1, in your English, came into being, section 2, through him, section 3. See what I did? You could draw a line on your note sheet, a diagonal line down, vertical line after the words, all things. And then you could draw another line after came into being. Separating that English phrase, part of the sentence of verse 3, into three parts. You understand? But notice the Greek. 1 and 3 in the English come first in the Greek. All things is 1 in the English. Through him is the third part in the English. But in the Greek, they come 1 and 2. I think that's really important. Now, the reason the New American Standard translators put them last is to make it English grammatically correct in the English. But we need to follow the Greek, and there's some reasons why. It's all things through him. So it's not one, two, three. It's one, three, two in the Greek. Did you catch that? You understand my numbers? Little letter A, I separated into three parts. All things one came into being two, through him three. That's your English there, little letter A. The parentheses, point number one, though, it's one, one, three, two. All things one, through him in the English is third section, and then came into being is three, is, is number two. So it's one, three, two in the Greek. 
Now, this is important. You may think this is crazy. Why are we bothering with this? You know, I hope you understand after, well, 35 years, that I'm not messing around with things that aren't important, right? I mean, what would be the point? Okay, just to give you numbers. Okay, let's memorize 132, not 123. Doesn't have any importance, but let's just do it anyways. Come on. Okay, so we all know that I have a reason here, and there's a reason why the Spirit of God wrote this in this order. Okay? So, let's start with number one, which is point two parentheses underneath it, all things. Panta is how you pronounce the Greek. All things, obviously. But I think there's a better word you can use after all things on the blank line. Stuff. That's actually a good translation. Stuff. Okay? So the Greek reads, all things or all stuff through him. Another word you could write down is everything. All things, everything. Through him. Who is the him? Well, what's the subject? Back in verse 1, and the word was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God, the Father. All things came into being through him. So we have word as the subject in verse 1. He was with God the Father in verse 2. All things came into being through him. That's Jesus Christ. So stuff through Christ. Right there under that point too. Stuff, all stuff through Christ. All stuff through Christ. Kind of generic stuff, isn't it? Stuff or things. What's being talked about here? Well, context. Beginning in verse 2 refers to creation. All things came into being through him. So all things, all stuff. First and foremost, right in underneath that point 2, uh, stuff refers to the stuff of creation. That's obviously the context of verse 3. Came into being. So the stuff of creation, the things of creation, the universe as we know it. Heaven wasn't created. It always was. God was always there. So God created hell. We know the scriptures tell us that. So hell wasn't always there. Why would there be a hell before the fall, right? So but heaven's eternal. Past, present, future hell is not. Hell was at a time in the past created and then is present all the way to the future. Creation was not always there, physical creation. Came into being in Genesis 1. But, looking at the context here, um, I think we could say with some pretty good assurance that there's more included here than the physical universe with all things. Why? Well, it really gets, as we'll see, and I'm just looking at verse 3 generally right now, he broadens it from all things came into being to apart from him nothing. There's nothing at all. Nothing means nothing. That includes a lot more. And then verse 4, in him was life. So the context is coming into being. He's the provider of life. He's the provider of light. So I think what we could say with some contextual assurance under point two there, all things, is that 
all things doesn't just refer to creation. All things predominantly refers to creation, but the rest of verse 3 and verse 4 can broaden the scope into he is in charge of all stuff, all of life, physical, spiritual, all that is righteous and holy. He's in control of all of humanity. He's in control of Satan and the angels, universe. It's all under his control. And this is a great promise for us currently living as believers. Now, we're still looking at all stuff. That first, uh, under point two there, half parentheses, all things ponta, all things. We're still looking there. Um, stuff reminds me of Donald Rumsfeld's brilliant news conference years ago, who was the, in case you've forgotten, he, under President Bush, was the uh, Secretary of Defense, and he was overseeing the war in Iraq many years ago. And he was having a news conference, and a smart aleck reporter was berating him for the civilian casualties during the Iraqian war. And Rumsfeld just nonchalantly throws his hands at the news conference and says, in war, stuff happens. That's a direct quote. Stuff happens. Rumsfeld was referring to the tragedy of um, what we would call um, casualties of war, civilian, which the military blithely calls collateral damage. Um, but that's certainly part of war. War is a mess. But JTA here in verse 3 with all stuff is really incredibly giving us a profound truth that is so simple and clear, but we as believers don't seem to get this. And that's this. Stuff happens in the Christian life. And all stuff is all stuff that God controls. All stuff. Can you think of anything that you could write down under that point number two that God does not control? Oh, wait. We've got 20 minutes left. He doesn't cause all stuff. That's true. He does not cause all stuff. Can you think of some stuff he did not or does not cause? Very good. God is not the author of sin. Right? That's a biggie. But he controls it. Otherwise, he couldn't judge and save men. What else does God has God not caused? Well, that's good. I didn't think of that one. He's the eternal self-cause, I suppose. He always is and always will be. But apart from that, himself, um, what else has God not caused. Well, well, that's believers. We that's good. 
Yes, he does not tempt us. That's very good. That would be all part of the context of sin itself. Unsafe sin he doesn't cause. He doesn't cause us to sin. James 1 tells us that. We'll be looking at that sometime down the road. But you're missing a person he does not cause and some things he does not cause. Randy mumbled something. I didn't hear it, though. Satan, yes. He created Lucifer, the archangel, but he did not cause Satan to fall, right? That's the person. And how about the group? A third of the angels who went with him did not cause the fall of demons, okay? But he controls everything. So you can write that under all things came into being, you need to write down, but not sin, Satan, and demons. They didn't come into being through him. I'm glad you didn't say that God does not cause suffering and trials. Because he does. He brings suffering into our lives, right? He allows it. He even causes it to happen. I'm glad you didn't say chastisement because God does cause chastisement. So that would be all under the stuff that comes into being. Stuff would include not the, just the universe, humanity, but would have to include suffering and trials. Stuff he causes. Confused yet? The stuff he causes, stuff he doesn't cause, but he controls it all. He controls all stuff. He doesn't cause all stuff. Clear yet? He even allows, though he doesn't cause, some of you to fall asleep right now during the sermon. That's a truism. It had nothing to do with that. That was your choice. I know, you got that extra hour last night, but you decided to stay up an extra hour instead. Burn off that one opportunity for the rest of American history to get an extra hour of sleep because they're going to stop it next March and you're not going to ever get it next fall. See? And you blew it. You stayed up an extra hour. I'm ranting now. I'm sorry. Back to this. God controls all stuff. Whatever he brings into being, he controls. Whatever he did not bring into being, he controls. He controls it all. Look at Psalm 54. When you've had a hard day, I recommend you go to Psalm 54. We're looking at all stuff. God controls all stuff. This is extremely important. You could sit and try to think of something he doesn't have divine control of in this universe or in your life. You could sit there the rest of your life and you're not going to find it. Only seven verses, Psalm 54. The inspired introduction starts not with verse 1, but for what is above it. This is actually part of Scripture. Psalm 54, for the choir director on stringed instruments, a maskal of David. We don't really know what a maskal is. From the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding himself among us? So 
they ratted on David when he was running from Saul. He's in a very life-threatening situation, David is. That's the context. Verse 1, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. Verse 2, for strangers have risen against me and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. But God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Would you say that verse 4 is an application of all stuff is controlled by God? Hmm? One of the great Hebrew words, samak, is for sustainer. The power to protect and help and keep going. Randy was talking about in a Sunday school class. Some of you that were in here know that I wasn't sitting here, but I'm listening upstairs. He said that God is the one who gives us endurance to continue on. And that's true. That's that word sustainer in verse 4. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my mind. Soul is mind. He will, that's faith, future Future statements always faith. He will recompense the evil to my foes, destroy them in your faithfulness. Faithfulness means he's in control of all stuff. Willingly I sacrifice to you, I give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. But God did not deliver him from all trouble physically and circumstantially. How could he possibly say that in verse 7? He said it because God controlled the whole situation and delivered him spiritually. And in certain physical circumstances, he was delivered as well. This is extremely important. God controls all stuff. But this psalm tells us that all stuff being, stuff being controlled does not mean you will not have bad stuff in your life. Okay? You will have bad stuff. Just that God controls it. He helps. He sustains. Look at Lamentations, written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote two books. Lamentations is for the negative Christian. Let me tell you, you will glory in Lamentations. If you are inherently negative, you can join my club. And I say, Lamentations is for you and me. It's basically a lament. Jeremiah is crying, wailing, and grieving. And I'll mention this in the sermon tonight, in the introduction, that the whole book of Lamentations proves that you can be godly and grieve and wail over your stuff that's bad. God never in Lamentations told Jeremiah, you're bad for crying. This proves, for 1 Peter 1.6, as we'll again see tonight, that this book, entire book proves it. You can have joy while you're lamenting. You can have joy while have faith. You can have joy while suffering. You can have joy at all times except when you're sinning. This is an astounding, inspired book. Wailing. What's he wailing over? Because his bank account has low interest? No. Is he whining here? No. It's the destruction of his beloved nation and the horrible, horrible persecution he's going through. Simply being faithful to the Lord causes bad stuff. Look at chapter 3. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Verse 20, surely my soul, my mind remembers and is bowed down within me. 
His mind is low. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What's he recalling to mind? Verse 22. The Lord's chesed, loving kindness, great Hebrew word for God's abundant love and goodness. Loving kindness is a made-up word in the English. Made up to encompass this Hebrew concept that is so deep. Chesed, goodness, abundance, love. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Go back to verse 19. Remember my affliction. Verse 22, loving kindnesses never cease. Does he still love us and control our lives when we're afflicted? For his compassions, plural, verse 22, never fail. Whether it's when trees fall, falling downstairs, falling on concrete, some battling with cancer, Sam continuously doing it right now, horrible job situations, bad pain in physical situations, work situations that are nightmarish, the grief of loved ones who aren't saved. Is God's love and compassions in verse 22 continue? Does this not get encompassed under John 1, 3? If he brought all things into being, does he not control all things? What a passage. Verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why are they new every morning? His faithfulness never changes. They're not new for God. What's new is us. We all know it. Fatigue, darkness, nighttime. Horrible times for struggling with trials, right? You get up in the morning. The sun rises. God's never changed. Faithful to the very end. Look at chapter 3, verse 59. Oh, he's so faithful. But look at verse 59. Oh, Lord, you've seen my oppression. He's under severe persecution. Please judge my case. He's, he's begging God in prayer. Verse 60 of chapter 3. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. These are Jews attacking him. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me. You can't control the evil workings of wicked people who are attacking you. You can't, you have no control, you and I have no control over the injustices and evil that can be perpetrated against us. That's the point of verses 69 to 61, 59 to 61. It's pointing up to God in verse 61. You've heard their reproach, all their schemes against me, the lips of my assailants and their whispering. Doesn't do any good to argue with someone who's wicked. Did you know that? Doesn't do any good to argue. Never going to convince them. If I meet somebody who's willfully in rebellion, I don't argue with them. I may admonish them and confront them, but I don't argue. If I hear defensiveness and I hear somebody who's lying to me, that's it, I'm done. I take it to God. You can't convince a wicked person to, to stop being wicked. The end of verse 62. They are against me all day long. And he's, he's talking to God. Look, look on their sitting and their rising, on their mocking song. Here's faith. Verse 64, you will recompense them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Was God ever unfaithful to Jeremiah, even when he was in the pit? Did God provide a man with ropes and rags to get him out of that pit? 
when he was kidnapped and forced to flee with wicked people to Egypt, was God still in control of Jeremiah's life? Does God control all stuff? Yeah. Romans 8, you know this one. Romans 8. Verse 28. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. All things, same thing, folks. All stuff. Okay? Even bad stuff that happens. Romans 8, 28. All things, all stuff. It's all part of God's controlling plan. He came and brought all things into being. Everything emerges. We'll look at next month what that means to emerge. And it's all part of his plan for you. Because we know the context here is some really bad stuff that can happen to believers and happen to Paul. Look at verse um, 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things, all this stuff? If God is for us, who's against us? He's always for us. Even when he chastises us, he's for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What's all stuff that he gives us? The ability to be given over. The context is persecution. Context is persecution. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? None of these can separate you from Christ's love. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. But these happen because verse 36 says, For your sake we're being put to death all day long. Being put to death doesn't stop God's love. His love is in verse 35. In verse 36, he's being put to death and on the, he's on the tip of the sword any given day Paul is to die. He lived constantly with the threat of death over his life every single day, but it never stopped Christ's love. Back to John chapter 1. So I think we can say with some assurance that all stuff came into being, John chapter 1, verse 3, through Christ, and that, of course, predominantly in context, refers to the beginning of creation and all the universe and all of humanity, but the context also contains the issues of a fallen life, perfect spiritual life, in verse 4, and light that needs to shine in darkness in this world. He's there. He is the lighthouse. We made it a plan to, uh, while we were in Door County, to see every lighthouse. It's a challenge. There's, I think, nine or ten of them on that peninsula. Door County is what, we would, what Wisconsinites would call the thumb of the glove. If this is Wisconsin, this is the main body, and Door County is the thumb that sticks out. So, and it's about a 30-minute drive from coast to coast on the thumb. So we were up there the whole time and went around. There are some lighthouses out in the water. Others are range lights. Others are sitting on land. Uh, one very interesting one, you could walk across a causeway. I think Rebecca and Randy did this as well. It was The water was low of Lake Michigan, and it's many times over this causeway we can walk to it. All different types of lighthouses are there. There are more lighthouses in the Great Lakes, if I remember reading correctly, than the rest of the world combined. And you know what? A lighthouse shines at all times in darkness. The lighthouses that we're working up there that we saw, and some of them are really interesting, 
Um, one of them was on a Coast Guard station, and they had yellow lines on the concrete, and it said, in this three-foot area, you can walk here, then right next is the concrete path, and you can't walk there. Same concrete path. To walk to the lighthouse, you can walk here. You can't walk right next to you there over that yellow line. There's no fence. All different sizes and types, but they have one overriding common factor. They shine from dusk to dawn. They shine in darkness, and it doesn't matter if there are any ships out in the bay. The lighthouses shine. It doesn't matter what trials you have in your life, what darkness, what difficulty, what hardship. The lighthouse of Jesus Christ is always shining. I've said to people who've naysayed our church, and you know we see very few converts, and uh, we hardly ever get visitors, and our church continues to decline. I've had naysayers outside our church say, what's the point? Why don't you just close the doors and be done with it? Thousands of tracks, virtually no converts, people don't come in, the church is diminishing. Why bother? Because a lighthouse always shines, even when there's no ships in the bay. We're here to shine, regardless of converts or visitors. This is our calling. Does God control the stuff of Eastside Bible Church? Does he control the numbers? Does he control the diminishing or the replenishing? Is this God's will? Is he powerful? So we stand here as a church and we shine in case a ship gets wrecked at our front door and needs our help. Father, as we bow our heads close our eyes, we thank you that you're always there for all of our stuff. And you are there because you came and died for us. And you saved us. And you sanctify us. Because you're always in control. What love, what salvation. All stuff is in your hands. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.